Hello, welcome to uh, Live from America podcast. We have a great show for you tonight. But uh, before I start the show, I have a very important statement and uh, an apology that I would like to share with everybody. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, specifically episode 117 of uh, Life from America podcast that was start titled uh, The Holocaust. And as I was sharing my opinion, I said that Sander Hicks is a Holocaust denier. Uh, he And that is not correct. Uh, Sander Hicks is not a Holocaust denier. Uh, Sander was a guest in this podcast twice, and he never said that. Uh, he's a Holocaust denier. Uh, and uh, as soon as I was informed, I took the episode off the air. We're going to edit it. And uh, it will stay on, off the air until we release this one with the apology first. And then we're going to re release it with the, uh, with the episode. So I want to apologize to Mr. Sander Hicks and set the record straight that he's not a Holocaust denier. And he never said that. I was wrong. And it was sloppy from my end not to uh, revisit the, the old episodes and uh, listen to what Sander Hicks said correctly uh, before I share my opinion. So sorry about that. And uh, let's start the new... Uh, live from America podcast. We have great guests tonight. How you guys doing? Pretty good. You guys are so polite. I like that. Um, so um, Stephen Calabria is here, reporter. Aloha. Aloha. Comedian Lo Perez uh, from We the Internet. And you're touring right now, right? Or did you yeah, tour start? Yeah. Um, well, uh, well, tomorrow Thursday would be the first uh, first stop, and then next week the uh, 25th we're in Dallas, and then the 27th in Phoenix. And it's called what? It's called The Funny Thing About Democratic Socialism Tour. Nice. And you have some special guests in this show. Yeah. 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 On, uh, for the New York show, we're going to have uh, Michael Malice. And Michael Malice is from, uh, he has the podcast, You're Welcome. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be here in a couple of weeks, actually. Nice. Uh, yeah. He's been here before. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. We were actually on, um, on an episode together for Live from, uh, Live from America podcast. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to be at all three dates. And then in New York, we're also going to be joined by uh, Carol um, Markowitz, who... Um, I believe she's a columnist for the New York Post. Nice. Um, so that's happening um, um, the February 20th. Nice, Thursday. nice, nice. And our guest of honor, Mr. Michel Paradis. Uh, he's been, uh, he, he was a guest here a couple of times, and we, we love when he's here. He's always amazing, always great, uh, have a lot to share. He currently serves as a senior attorney for the Department of Defense, uh, in his role, he is regularly appointed uh, to represent detainee held in U.S. Uh, stations in Guantanamo Bay. A lot of my friends, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, he uh, uh, he is uh, he have a, a disclaimer to say before we say that, right? I do. Just yes. as uh, I'm not here representing the Department of Defense, and nothing I say uh, is the opinion of the Department of Defense or any agency or instrumentality thereof i'm here in solely my personal capacity so uh yeah uh it's always great to have you so much to talk about and uh, so the first thing i want to ask you it's not that we really care but you know the hit on soleimani hmm. like how how does international law see that yeah so okay so there are two tracks always to think about anytime we're dealing with these intense foreign relations armed conflict situations. So the first is domestic law. So we have to start there and say, what was the president's authority to use force? So the Constitution says Congress gets to declare war, um, but we haven't declared war since we declared war on Romania and Hungary in the Second World War. So we haven't done that in a long time, but we've seemed to have done a lot of things that look a lot like war, like yeah. Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan. And so 
the first thing you have to look at so is we have not declared war in iraq we have not declared war in iraq <laughs> we have not declared war anywhere other than again hungary and romania were the last honorees um and so as a domestic matter the president has asserted two grounds um two and a half grounds if you will so one is that he is the commander-in-chief and he can do whatever he damn well pleases. Mm. And that's a pretty controversial view for obvious reasons because um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make sense a lot of, you know, we're, we didn't we didn't depose a king yeah. in the American Revolution in order to elect a king in the name of Donald Trump. So sure. that argument is pretty specious, but it still gets made. But Obama kind of did the same thing with bin Laden. Uh, well, okay, so in, and then this is the second ground. And so there are two statutes that Congress passed. First is the one they passed the week after September 11th, which is generally called the AUMF, Authorization for the Use of Military Force, AUMF. Yeah. And then there's another AUMF that often gets overlooked called the uh, AUMF-I. Uh, and what do you think I stands for? Iraq. So a year after September 11th, in the huh. lead up to... Uh, the invasion of Iraq, the famous vote where John Kerry voted against it before he voted for it, uh, is the authorization for the use of military force in Iraq, which was the essentially the legal authority to give George W. Bush the power to invade Iraq and depose Saddam Hussein. Both of those laws, which were passed in 2001 and 2002, have never been repealed. They're still on the books. And they have been the legal authority for all of the wars from Afghanistan being the most obvious right to come out of the AOMF, but also Nigeria, yeah, uh, or Niger. Sorry, not Nigeria. Um, but actually, Nigeria, right, with Boko Haram, yeah. U.S. U.S. activities against Boko Haram, uh, and Somalia, uh, to some extent, Syria. And that's what's interesting is what is ISIS, right? So there's been this yeah. debate for a long time about what is ISIS. What are these kind of you know clack on conflicts that we've gotten into in Syria with Iran? So, so yeah. all this, we're not declaring war on anybody? That's amazing. No, no war has been declared, no. Uh, it's a resolution passed by Congress, which is essentially a, a green light to use force, but not yeah. a declaration of war. And um, that has some legal significance, yeah. but it's hard to know exactly what it is. What is the difference between force and war? It's a great question. It's, um, not, it's okay question. It, it, no, it's a great question. So <laughs> if I was being like a tech... The lawyer said it, by the way. It's a great question. It is a great question. Um, so if I was being like a technical, if, if I wanted to give you a technical answer, um, it's that war implicates far more governmental authorities than force. Um, what that means in practical reality is there's a long tradition that when war is declared, all bets are off, right? You can suspend habeas corpus. You can uh, exclude enemy aliens. There are any number of authorities that the government has uh, to confiscate people's private property. Um, that are all covered by the rubric of capital W-A-R, war. Um, whereas authorizations for the use of force are, at least generally in the history that we've had since the Second World War, interpreted more narrowly. They don't give the government the same leeway to intern the Japanese, yeah. uh, for example, or to deport all Germans, which is something we did during the Second World War. Um, and so... The real answer is we don't really know what the difference is because the courts have been very reluctant to quite figure that out. But we know it doesn't give the government the same amount of elbow room in fighting the armed conflict. I'm that amazed is. that that we're not declaring war. Imagine if like we have a new president and he called the Iraqi president and he's like, I don't know if you know, but we're kind of going to declare war on you. Yeah. Well, well, doesn't it? The reason why Trump hasn't declared war is perhaps the same reason why he relies on so many um, interim appointments for all of these people is that it gives him more legal leeway. But we're not only talking about Trump, Bush, Obama. Not 
He said the last war that we declared was in Romania. Yeah, it seems like a like a bipartisan right thing. abdication of it. Well, yeah. it, what it is is it's been really since the invention of the atomic bomb. If we're being like really clear historically, yeah, uh, Congress has basically backed out of the national security realm in most areas and only kind of nibbles at the edges of executive authority. And so, has generally just delegated authority after authority in every aspect of foreign relations and military affairs. To the executive branch to yeah. do by their do by themselves, and so Congress has kind of happily taken a backseat for most of that time. Whether or not it was in Korea, Vietnam, you know, we can go through all the armed conflicts we've had since the Second World War. It's it's so weird with the um, the forgotten war uh, mm. of uh, Korea, where I think it was over forty thousand U.S. servicemen yeah. died, uh, comparable to the deaths in Vietnam. Yeah, it, you would think at least you know with the Korean War that they. Congress would have been able to get the support to actually make a declaration of war. Um, hmm. do, do you know why it? So, it didn't so a lot of it, like, so Korea is in both Viet, Korea and Vietnam are kind of tricky examples, mainly because um, there was, they're both decolonial wars. Is I mean, they're part of the sort of decolonization of Asia. Both of them are, um, and so there was always this reticence to declare war in the sense that declaring war is something you traditionally do against a nation state. And we would have had to have recognized the legitimacy of North Vietnam and the North ah. Vietnamese and the Viet Cong oh, or, wow. or of what you know became North Korea. And we always, there was always kind of a diplomatic footsie around uh, that. Issue. Or ultimately of ISIS, I imagine. Or of ISIS, exactly. That's exactly right. So speaking of ISIS, yeah. uh, so we had a, an interesting conversation before we taped. Uh, we were talking about who went to jail and for some reason, I know I brought it up. I've never been to jail. <laughs> Norm, by the way, is not here. I don't know if you guys noticed that it's uh, nicer and quieter. Uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he, he, his flight got stuck so I couldn't make it back. Uh, so we're talking about who, who's been in jail and guess who's the only one been in jail on this table? <laughs> Do you want to tell us this story? The, I, the, I don't want the, to the, tell the, you this story. The lawyer, but, okay. But I've been asked. Uh, no, I was a stupid idiot kid. I, I was caught smoking weed in Central Park. Now, just so we're clear, you yeah. were speaking on behalf of the Department of Defense. In, in this respect, <laughs> Yeah, right. Yes, in this respect, I am. Yeah. No, I was a stupid idiot kid. I was smoking weed in Central Park, which is illegal. Yeah. And uh, a police officer walked up to me and took his badge out of his sweater. He actually arrested you? Straight up arrested me. This is a long time ago. This is in the That's 90s. Up. So they usually let you go. Sorry? It's New York City. No, like, especially in Central Park. They always let you go. Huh. Not in the Giuliani era. This uh, is 20-odd you know, uh, years ago. Lou, have you been arrested? No, I've never been arrested. Close? Yeah. Um, I, uh, w when I was a kid, there was a, uh, my middle school had a park where uh, you know, kids used to hang out and drink. Mm -hmm. And one night, my friends and I were there. We weren't even drinking. And there was like a group of other kids who were drinking. Uh, and then the cops rolled up, and I'm the and all the kids who were drinking started running, and like a moron, I just take off after them, thinking that I should be running with them. Yeah. And then I turn around, and all my friends are just hanging out, just like what what the hell is Why? going on here? So then the cops like pick me up, and uh, I I had to point out to the cops, I'm like, dude, I'm the only like non Asian one. Like yeah. I'm obviously not with them. I just got scared. Blah blah blah. So they, they let me go. So, but, and then I guess they ended up arresting all the all the Asian kids. So. Ra go racism. Yeah, yeah. You I really so. benefited from but some a, But a weird racism. Yeah, like, like, like picking up all the Korean kids. Yeah, like, yeah. What's that about? Uh, and Stephen, you got deported. You said. I've never been arrested. I was sort of deported-ish. What do you mean I, sort of? It's either you did you Well, like, I don't know if what happened could be counted as a deportation. Uh, what happened was when I was studying, when I was at college in London, 
when I got my visa, initially I only got it for a year and I knew that I would have to ultimately renew it. And um, it ran out while I was studying and I had sent away for it and it didn't work out. So then I had to fly back to Germany, which is where I grew up on army bases. And then I applied to have it like renewed. And I thought, well, you know, finals are only like two or three weeks away. I may as well fly to London uh, to finish up the semester. And they detained me at the airport and I spent the night in the airport. You spent the night in jail. A detention room, yeah, it was terrifying because uh, you know at that point I had no idea like what is it, am I going to be able to make it back and and it turned out I didn't even need to have made the trip at all. How I does could, it feel to be illegal? Uh, terrifying. Now we and, know how we feel. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> for years. <laughs> you ever see that shitty movie Terminal with Tom? Hanks? Oh, with Tom? Hanks. Yeah, that was me. That was me. That, that is a true story, isn't it? It is. is yeah, it? Yeah, 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 it is a true story. Huh. Interesting. Uh, so, uh, what do you guys think of uh, Bloomberg thing? He's going to be in the debate today. I know. I'm, I'll be interested to see. I'll be interested to see how he does. Who, yeah. I, I wonder what, who, who are you supporting in the uh, election coming up? You know, I got to. I, I don't know that I strongly support anyone in particular. Yeah. I think you know. I mean, and it will be interesting to see how much the Democratic Party actually just rallies around whoever gets nominated. Because I, I kind of feel like that's my instinct. If you're regardless a, of whoever, yeah. It is. If you're a responsible citizen and the person is not named Donald Trump, you. Yeah. Even if you think if it's somebody like Sanders, for example, who is has a 99% chance of crashing and burning, you would still rally behind them. I, I, I think so, yeah. Because Elizabeth he's not a Warren? fascist, and that's that's a plus. Um, he's not a, a what? A fascist. And that, and that's Unlike a the president. Unlike the president. Um, he's not a racist, which I guess is subsumed within the fascism. Um, he and I think also it's easy to forget how much of any presidential administration is the people around the president, not just the president themselves. And so, um, just as Donald Trump, in a lot of ways, is actually a fairly conventional Republican president, like the ter- in terms of the people he's nominated to judgeships, which is what he takes the most credit for. Yeah. Um, even cabinet appointments with within a certain range right he he hasn't gotten the range of cabinet appointments because people you know conservatives who don't um will not work for him on principle like qualified people just will not work for him because they don't want to take the abuse um and so but other than that he's basically a conventional extreme form of a conventional conservative but basically a conventional conservative. What, what's your thought on jill biden on uh, pete mayor pete Oh, oh can we just talk about like Bloomberg a little sure. bit? Because I, I had no idea of you know just how I guess loathed he is by by Democrats. Because I, I remember you know Bloomberg, li- is? Uh, uh, Bloomberg yeah, yeah. And I, I remember you know living in New York, and really uh, most of the um, criticism that I would see would be from like uh, libertarians, like yeah. uh, Reason Magazine and, and that sort of thing. So it, it's really interesting how you know depending on who uh, you know puts their you know dips their foot into the uh, um, you know, into these campaigns, how people respond to them, and it, it's so funny just having social media where you have this uh, this paper trail of what you said about each candidate, and then it is going to be interesting to see how that flips or or the you know what kind of reasoning people use. But it's like, always been like that, though. Yes, sir. in a way, yeah, yeah. I think there's something more grotesquely shameless about it, and I think that if anything about what about about completely flipping on your opinion, like if you just go back to what Lindsey Graham. Ted Cruz, yeah. uh, you name it, said about Donald Trump during the campaign. I mean, when Donald Trump says that your dad killed Kennedy, I know. Kennedy. and 
you know, that your wife is a schizophrenic or something like that, yes. or people in his cabinet, or Dershowitz, or Dur- any yeah. anybody, right? And and there's a opportunism, if nothing else, that in this certainly social media. Or, but isn't that just in keeping with what you just said that people tend to rally around whoever the standard bearer is, regardless of their previous statements or opinions? I, I think that's true, but I think historically people have at a minimum been less craven, at, craven, right? Where it's been such a reversal. Um, against what seemed like genuinely moral opinions. Yeah. Like, this person is a cancer on conservatism. Okay, I guess I'll be the Secretary of Energy. So uh, what's, what's your thought on Biden and Pete? Oh, um, I, just, I just had one, I just, sorry, one yeah, more yeah, question. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, no. No, but, but from, a, uh, from a legal perspective, um, I, I put this question out there as, as a joke, but now I'm kind of thinking about, since Bloomberg is spending all this money, is it possible to sell my vote in the primary? And ba- like, like, it, is, is it that, legal? To is say, it legal? Yeah, well, you, no. I think that is actually illegal. Right? Illegal. If you do a quid pro quo. Yeah, an explicit quid pro quo mm-hmm. for a vote. And yes. I, I have not received any money yet. I'm just put. I'm. I'm just asking advice. You're just yeah. saying that what? were you to be given an offer, you would entertain well, you such a New York, and, and I wonder. Really count. I, you know, I wonder. People talk about you know democracy and how yeah. important the vote is and stuff like that. How much is it worth to you though? Like, how much would would, would you poli- take? I mean, or, or a politician like yeah. you know be willing to? And the third world countries, they they sell votes. Yeah. With oil and rice and. Well, every Ooh, time I, I, would, I can yeah. go over some good rights. Well, yeah. Every time one of these like super loaded people enters the presidential primaries and they do horribly, the press always tabulates how much they paid for each vote. So Tom Steyer apparently paid roughly two thousand dollars per vote that he received in New Hampshire. So you know, yeah, there you go. Fair enough. So at least at least two thousand dollars. At least two thousand yeah. dollars, yeah. And what's Bloomberg up to? Like four hundred million, they something said? like that. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. already he's already already spent already spent. Like well, and he has already million. spent more than any other presidential candidate ever. Yeah, but the, he wanted to, uh, you know. And he has it. Yeah, like Steyer actually doesn't have it. Like he's a billionaire, but you know, I mean, you can. Know, but he's not, he's like a low billionaire. Yeah. Like, but uh, he's the one that. But you can they tell how let. much money is what. Like he went from one percent to fifteen percent support. Well, that's because most people don't give a shit or aren't paying attention or they just go with the person that they've heard of or who shows up on their doorstep and, and who markets funny them. commercials. Are they funny? Really? Yeah, making fun of Trump. And I think more to come. I mean, he's hiring. He's going to hire and hiring the best people in everything. Yeah, right. And there have already been articles written about how he's sucking up all of the best talent in all of the states so yeah. that all these campaigns that never had the money to compete in the later states up until now or didn't have the you know inclination to invest in the later states now are scrounging for talent. Which is what you want to beat yeah. Trump. You know, and, um, well, I, yeah. I don't know if it's... Uh, I don't know if uh, overall people are just, you know, very cynical about it, but the idea that this guy spent $400 million, right? But ultimately it comes down to what that person does in the voting, uh, you know, uh, mm. voting day, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it's a little weird, this notion that that he can somehow steal it away um, when it still ultimately comes down to individual choices on who they want to, you know, who they want to go for, who they want to vote for. So uh, yeah, it'd be I, interesting I think, to see how he does tonight. Yeah, I agree because I kind of think you know. I mean, I'll be interested to see how he does tonight too. I think that's going to be yeah, tonight's it's probably be major. A, a big test for him to see if he's up for prime time. But he's doing something very different. One for one thing, he's doing is he's actually running essentially a general election campaign from the beginning. Yeah. So he's not doing that retail politicking. He's not you know going into. the He would probably hate that part of it. He, I almost concerned. He's probably still in London. 
Right. Um, yeah. You know, running well, his well, campaign. The idea of his... him going into a diner and watching all these people eat <laughs> right. too much salt. Too much salt. Too much soda. soda. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Have so I think so that's interesting. It'll be interesting to see whether the social media environment, the media environment of the United States, just the size of the country has gotten us to a point where you can run on TV from the beginning. But um, it's funny how like also the power of rumors, like, you know, this thing started that he's getting Hillary Clinton as his vice right. president. It's just like like they like psychologically trying to make people hate him. Just, yeah. just they don't have to try very hard. Like, look at his previous statements that just keep coming out but I mean, about transgender people, about you know Democrats, about anything. Well, Although so, pe- people need to stop pretending like those weren't public statements. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's right. like oh my uncovered, god, uncovered, uncovered. Wow. It's well, like, yeah. Trump did the same thing. Everybody, every politician did this. You know. So here's so, the other thing that's interesting about Bloomberg is he's actually running the tr- the campaign Trump said he was running. Yeah. Right, because Trump was like, oh, I'm self-financing, and I'm not going to take... Bullshit, right? He took He's taking tons of money. Yeah. That's, that's who he's giving pardons to. Yeah. Um, whereas Bloomberg actually does have the... He's actually a billionaire, and he does have the wherewithal to say, I'm not going to slosh around. Fuck you money. Yeah. Fuck you money, right? He, he just can do it. And in a way, in the same sense that this is how he ran New York, is that he was kind of incorruptible yeah. as a consequence of yeah. it, right? He had no favors to pay back because he just didn't care. And I, and I kind of like that. And I really want to see three if, terms. if money... He, he amended the Constitution to get his term. third term. I know. Now that, that's something, you know, talking about... I'm not going to call him a, you know, a fascist, but that's something a strong man does. You know, like, a, like sort of a South American you know, know. strong man comes know, out and but says... But good for him. So, um, so <laughs> Well, I have a question for the group. Sure. Um, so... Now the this group? year, Did he say for, for the panel, for the group, for the panel, for the panel. So let me enjoy this. <laughs> apparently, this uh, of all the elections in the past, let's say forty, fifty years, this one has the highest likelihood of going to the convention without a nominee already chosen. Nate Silver, friend of the show, uh, puts it at one in three chance that we get to the. So what? If you guys were voting at the convention as a delegate, would your loyalty lie with the candidate who received the highest number of votes or the one that you thought was most likely to win? Because Bernie, at this point, stands perhaps the highest chance of getting the largest number of votes, but that's measured against the three other moderate moderate candidates that people would probably be voting for instead of Bernie. So which side of the divide would you fall on? Or the Hillary well, I mean, I mean, for me, I think that a lot of people are going to drop off the race as we get there. You know, I think there's only maybe it will be one or two people uh, left, obviously Bloomberg, too. So, you know, I think the Democrats should, if they care about this country, come up with like, OK, this is the plan. This is the guy. This is it. You know, so we can or the woman, you know, so we can win and beat Trump. But if they can continue, I don't know. So you would go with the person most likely to be Trump. Ah, uh, yep, hundred percent. I'm not, Bernie and so so. Can I? Yeah, sorry, good. Finishing. Yeah, Ber- Bernie and Elizabeth Warren is very risky. I I think they're gonna uh, help a lot of undercover Trump supporter who's not really a Trump supporter, but rich enough, like you know who is in vacation right now and leave us here with the show. Conservative, you know? rich, yeah, Jewish. You, you right. know, you know. Like Norm, <laughs> oh, I'm so, did I say that like <laughs> so so yeah so you know you know he he will not uh, vote for Bernie. I would not burn for uh, uh, for um, 
Elizabeth Warren. So yeah, uh, Michelle. So I guess the one, two things I would say is one is <clears throat> Bernie right now in the national polls is the person most like the last poll, and you, you can't trust these too much, but the last poll had Bernie at like fifty two percent, and Trump at forty three percent, and then everyone else is a slow closing of that gap. Even Biden is now a point behind Bernie in national yeah. national polls. So you got to you know think about how that factors out. But I kind of disagree with you that I think I I don't think if I'm if I've made it this far, and I'm any of the candidates who are on the stage tonight, I have every incentive to just hold on as long as possible, precisely because of this uh, the high likelihood of a brokered convention. Because as I understand how they changed the rules, and you know Nate would know this better than I do, but. The the first ballot. If you don't have a majority on the first ballot, after that, all bets are off. Right. Yeah. All the but that's my point. The Democrats should not get to that level, to that point. Because if they do, yeah. then they really care about themselves. I, I or think, it means that they're just um, more likely to go with the person who can win. And if Bernie has the highest number of delegates without crossing the threshold to actually win the nomination does anybody outright, anybody really think that Bernie have a chance? Well, well, well when you had, I, you, I, had Rick supporters. you had Rick Wilson on yeah. uh, before, and, and um, he obviously didn't think uh, that Bernie stood a chance. But uh, I don't know, man. I I, w- I was at the DNC um, before the last election, and. Uh, you know, the people that were there who were Bernie supporters who felt like their guy got fucked over, they yeah. were really angry. And those people still exist. And you have Bernie who, who has brought more and more people, you know, over uh, to be supporters where, man, if uh, if if there is some shady play or, or you know, last minute rule changing and stuff like that, I, I, I can imagine them turning against whoever is the, you know, the Democratic nominee if it's not Bernie. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the real danger actually, at this point is that if Bernie comes in with, let's say what he's polling now, which is like in the mid 30s, and if he comes in with about 30 odd percent of the delegates and everyone else is some parceling number of 10, 15, yeah. and there's essentially a conspiracy <clears throat> to oust Bernie and give it to someone else, even though he only has a plurality, you're going to have, you know, I mean, you're, I, it's not going to be 1968, but you're going to have, it, it's, it's not, it wouldn't be surprising to see the Bernie. But I doubt that when it, when it matters, like when it's like two ahead, somebody's gonna give him money. He's gonna run out of money soon. His his campaign is great because he have a lot of followers that work so hard. But at, at some point, you're gonna need money. So well, uh, Bernie can fundraise like a motherfucker now, but not later. Not when he's versus one person, you know. But uh, anyway, uh, so we wanna uh, talk about something that's gonna lead us to uh, a special guest. Also, is gonna be in the phone uh, in a little bit. So I wanna ask you about the. Trump's pardons today uh, or yesterday? Yeah, Tuesday. Yeah. What, so, can you give us a little like uh, background on that? So, uh, so the basic principle of the pardon power is Constitution grants the president the power to grant pardon and clemency. What's what's the difference? So, pardon is that essentially it's taken off your record. It's almost an expungement. It's not quite that. There are technical reasons that don't really matter. So you're in jail, and then you're not in jail. You're well, yeah. Not only are you not in jail, but you've never been convicted. So, for example, like in a place, really? so in a place that like Florida used to have complete felon disenfranchisement. Some states still do. So, if you're pardoned, you can get your right to vote back. You can get your right to get a gun back. All the things that huh. flow from having been convicted of a crime go away. You're just the, the crime is taken away from you. But was Jack Johnson recently? I mean, you know, posthumously uh, pardoned. But I believe he yeah. was. Yeah, and he was I, straight up pardoned. And, and so, he he is, and that's a power of the president only, right? Yep. Power is can a, do whatever you want, whoever he wants, every once. Can he right. get in trouble for that? So, if there's an abuse of the pardon power, let's say the president hypothetically, and and there is some, well, at least one case today that looks 
shady. Because they paid. Because they said, yeah, so if the president is essentially selling pardons, um, that could probably be a ground for impeachment Uh and possibly a charge of bribery after he leaves office. Uh Um, But because the president, at least under the current law, can't be indicted in office. So Um, what's the difference between pardon and... The clemency just is you get out early, right? So that clemency tends to get used when someone is suffering a death sentence that they've you know reformed or rehabilitated in prison and it just doesn't make sense anymore to execute them um a few of the people that were given clemency today were people who um kind of turned their lives around in prison and became model prisoners and were serving extremely long sentences under the drug laws and is there a uh, time or you know or the president can you know pardon anybody at any time he wants uh, as long as it's a federal crime. So he can't. So this became a big issue, obviously, around when people were talking about the Mueller report and the yeah. impeachment, et cetera. He can't pardon state crimes, but if it's a federal crime, um, he can pardon it. Okay. So we're going to have a, a, a special guest on the phone right now. Um, do you guys know Russ Alpright, right? Everybody knows who I, he is. I do. So uh, for the listeners, if you don't know, he was the uh, creator of the Darknet Market website, the Silk Road from 2011 to 2013 and he was um indicted for like i think two life in prison without a possibility of parole and we had his uh his mom lynn uh who is amazing mother a fighting for him the whole time uh and uh, i think the website is uh, free ross with an o.com or org we're gonna check with her right now uh and she is uh so uh, she's been in the show. You can watch the whole uh, details of the show. Uh, we have a whole episode with her. It's called The Dark uh, Web. I think it's in the 60s or something. But um, I was in touch with her a couple of uh, days ago when the, this part and things happened and all that because he, she sent an email that she, they send, they're sending a clemency pet- petition to Trump and they have about 300,000 people already uh, in it. So she's going to be with us in the show right now when Mike is ready. Um can I, uh, full disclosure. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Uh, last year, I actually performed at a benefit show yeah. for uh, for Ross yeah. um, and Lynn. Um, obviously, his mom was one of the speakers. So we that. we are not taking sides if Ross is guilty or not. We just, you know, the mother is uh, is Lynn, and we're gonna see her point of view. Uh, hi, Lynn. We have we have this is our technology. Hello, this is Lynn. Hi, Lynn. It's Hatem Hall from Life from America podcast. How are you doing? Hi, yeah, I'm good. Thank how are you? you? Good, good, good. Thank you so much for uh, uh, your time. How was how how things? Thank you. Uh, good. I just had an op-ed published today in the uh, Arizona Republic where in Phoenix. Well, it's the whole Arizona, and Trump is doing a rally there. So I'm hoping he'll read it uh, Okay. <laughs> there so- tonight. So yeah, let, so let, anyway, let, let me introduce uh, trying to get his attention. This yeah. is all about getting the president's attention. The, the president. Right. Let me let me introduce mm-hmm. the um, the guests that I have here. Uh, Stephen Calabria, uh-huh. reporter. Hi. Oh, okay. And he was here Hi. at the first show. Uh, comedian Lou Perez, and actually he did a uh, uh, Lou. Go ahead. But, hey, Lou. Hey, Lynn. Yeah, I'm, I was I was just telling hey, them. Lou. <laughs> how's it going? I was just telling them for full Good. disclosure. I've been watching your. Yeah. I've subscribed to your channel. I've been watching it a lot well, th- well thank you so much and i'm i'm, I'm yeah, sorry i wasn't able to be at a uh, liberty forum uh this year but hopefully yeah. uh pork fest yeah we missed you yeah yeah and uh, a special guest with us also uh uh michelle paradis he's a, a senior attorney at the department of defense but uh you know uh he's not here representing them obviously 
just a do. disclosure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, Michelle is uh, and Lynn, everybody. We we give the listeners a quick uh, idea about that. Um, you know that Russ was sentenced for two years without uh, two, two two life sentences without uh, possibility of parole, correct? And uh, we, right, and don't forget the forty years that were added on to that. Yeah, yeah. Just in case, it's about two centuries essentially. Uh, and we uh, we had a, a, a whole episode with you before, and then we encouraged people mm-hmm. to listen to it to get to the story. And we have Michelle who explained uh, perfectly the difference between pardon and clemency right before. So you want to tell us Good. what's what's the plan uh, right now? Well, really, um, as you, I guess you know now, that clemency uh, includes a commutation of a sentence, which is what we're asking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, this sentence is clearly, <clears throat> well, it's unconstitutional. The Eighth Amendment says no cruel or unusual punishment. It's very unusual, certainly cruel. Um, and um, but uh, so anyway, we're hoping for a commutation, which to time served preferably because Ross is on his seventh year for all nonviolent charges, first time offense. And um, so we, to get clemency, we need to have the president sign a piece of paper. Okay. And you have, <laughs> and I mean, how many people you have so and, far? Well, on our, on our petition, which is not any guarantee, it's just really a PR tool. Mm-hmm. We have over a quarter of a million signatures, uh, actually over 268,000. So, um, yeah, I really ask your listeners to please go to freeross.org slash petition and sign it and share it. And really all you need, all it's about is that a first time nonviolent offender should not have a double life sentence without parole. Um, you know, it's, it's just wrong. And, um, you know, it's totally nonviolent. All his charges are nonviolent. Um, so the other thing that you picked up on that I really appreciate is that there's a way to directly write a note to President Trump uh-huh. and because he has an online approval poll. And if you go to freerust.org slash action, it's real easy. We have it at the top of that page. You just click and um, you can write him a note. You know, we even have language if you want to just cut and paste, uh-huh. basically saying Ross is a peaceful first-time offender. He shouldn't have this sentence, you know, and please commute it to time served. And um, we hope that if, you know, I'm trying anything, right? So as many people as send in these comments, maybe it'll get on his radar. Uh, All you have to do is put your name, zip code, and email address. And um, yeah, and they're, they're wanting feedback. So I'm hoping to provide some feedback. Yeah. Michelle, you know the uh, the his lawyer, right? You know Russell's uh, lawyer. I think I knew what Josh Straytell. Yeah, he was the trial and appellate the and the appeal lawyer. Yeah. So what what's what's your take on 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 this process? Is it on uh, the clemency and, yeah. and parole? Um, so traditionally, there's been a process where you go into um, there, there's an office, a pardon. It's actually called the pardon office, which is in the Department of Defense. Or, sorry. <laughs> Department of Justice, um, and mm-hmm. that's always been very controversial because what has, as a practical matter, happened uh, in prior administrations is that the Justice Department prosecutors on the case essentially are able to put a thumb on the scale of any pardon mm-hmm. or clemency application. Um, Correct. The The Trump administration has been um, a little more... Um, I think, for lack of a better word, ad hoc in the pardon process. I don't know that the pardon office has done much of the legwork that's traditionally done. 
um, it's tended to be much more a personal line into the president, um, which is actually how the pardon and clemency process originated. It was uh, essentially right. direct petitions to the president uh, for particular claims and causes one way or another. But I also think it's it's a, it's a good timing right now with the election coming up and all that. What do you guys think? And, I mean, he seems to be in the mood to pardon people. Yeah, it certainly gives me hope. Um, as I was saying, that's what I actually wrote in the op-ed today that came out in Arizona, um, is that it gives me hope, you know, that he's, you know, he's kind of a wild card, right? He's, you know, yeah. and um, that can, instead of, I know so many people who've, who've submitted petitions for clemency to the DOJ, and it's like going into a black hole. Yeah. Never, that's it, you know, it, years go by. It's a total bureaucracy. And there's people who are trying to wrest the power from them and put it where it was originally, like you said, with the executive branch. And um, really, it seems that seems like a much better option. And um, so, and they, yeah, and it seems like the president really loves to do it. I certainly would if I were president. I'd, I would um, give clemency to every nonviolent offender. But um, yeah, he seems to enjoy doing that, helping these people have freedom and you know, at least that's what he says. And um, so yeah, I am hopeful. I, 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 yeah, I, th I think yeah. to the listeners, regardless of how you feel about Trump, uh, right. you know, it's 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 the job. He's the president, you know. So I think you should, you know, like maybe some people don't want to go to his website or, or do something, right? But uh, Well, mm -hmm. I'm, cu I'm curious to know, in the Constitution or otherwise, what is the exact wording as to what, should constitute a pardon and clemency. I guess Michelle. Michelle, Michelle yeah. I guess that, well, yeah, each one's true. different because a pardon is is typically for people who are, are not in prison. It's to um, wipe their slate clean and they're no longer a felon. Um, and but commutation is for people who are serving a sentence and it corrects the sentence. And this is certainly a sentence that needs to be corrected. It's a huge uh, government abuse of power. Well, my, my question... I, or, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, that's all right. Uh, I mean, my question was more about, like, if, if I'm the chief executive and I'm trying to determine who deserves a pardon or clemency mm -hmm. and who doesn't, what are the specific guidelines? What is the wording as to who should receive a pardon or clemency and who shouldn't? So the Constitution, I don't know. Yeah, so the Constitution. I mean, actually, I don't even know if there is oh, any. Oh, uh, go ahead. I Michelle, don't know. Michelle knows. The yeah, answer. no, the Constitution is very broad. It says the president yeah. shall have the power. I'm going to get this close to right. Is that shall have the power to grant pardons and reprieves. Period, and that's it. Um, yeah. And so, how that's been operationalized historically has been um, uh, in two ways, right? One is the more traditional way, like um, like like in this case where you're saying look this is just an extreme or severe sentence for what the crime has been uh, for the crime charged or it's a situation where the person has had a real epiphany or the person has um really turned their life around and become an advocate for um you know in prison to help other inmates or to bring peace to the country in some way and so it's just the sort of this person deserves mercy in the simplest way mm -hmm. um and then the mm -hmm. second category um, traditionally are um, like political pardons. And I mean that without being, you know, pejorative. But um, so Jimmy Carter pardoning the people who uh, fled the United States to dodge the draft. Um, Andrew Johnson pardoning the Confederacy for um, 
rebelling against the United States. These moments where there just needs to be kind of a national getting over. Uh-huh. Um, Nixon being pardoned. Nixon being pardoned, exactly. That, that's sort of almost a quintessential case. Arguably George H.W. Bush pardoning um, all the people involved in Iran-Contra, right? We just need to get past this political moment in some way. So um, is there any other uh, you know, option uh, right now you're working on beside this one? Lynn? Are you talking to me? Yeah. Um, uh, there, there's only one other very hard thing to achieve, which is called a 2255 or habeas petition. That is um, a civil case that's before the same court that sentenced Ross, the uh-huh. Southern District of New York. And um, it's, you know, we're going for everything, but um, I think clemency is our best shot. Especially now, as you say, there's a lot of um, sympathy and um, people, a lot of people, a whole movement for criminal justice reform to to um, correct the excessive sentencing because it's not just Ross. I mean, it, you know, he was in, in prison with a guy in Colorado who was serving life for marijuana in Colorado where it's yeah. legal. You know, this kind of thing. I mean, there's several, many pot offenders, quote unquote, um, do, you know, serving long, long prison terms. It's it's terrible. And on the other hand, and, the people um, that were mm-hmm. with Ross, they got much less sentence, right? The number well, two. Yeah. Wait, I, I'm not sorry. I didn't understand that. Uh, uh, the other, you know, um, uh, people that were involved in Silk Road. Oh, didn't yeah. Didn't get much. as much. No, the biggest, yeah. yeah, the biggest guy was convicted of, of the biggest, as the biggest drug seller on Silk Road got 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Some of those guys are out. Yeah. yeah. And um, the guy who was running Silk Road 2 got no time. And it was a bigger site. It was a copycat site. And because Ross, the thing is, I believe the reason was because this was a revolutionary idea. Bitcoin especially was a revolutionary idea. Most people hadn't heard of it. And um, I think that is why he got the sentence he got. They wanted to make an example of him. They said so. And, um, you know, it's obviously not about drugs or the biggest drug seller wouldn't have gotten 10 years. (laughs) so it's about an idea and that's the thing ross is a visionary he's a pioneer he's not a kingpin which is one of the things they laid on him kind of last minute and and Uh, and, and if people are if people are interested they should definitely check out the documentary that alex winter uh did uh, Mm, about ross yeah Mm -hmm. Um, yeah that was good it only went up to the trial unfortunately because alex is so good i wish he could just keep covering it yeah (laughs) now he's working on a he's working on a frank zappa doc Uh, so I mean, just, 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 yeah. you know, on it, and, and we, I think we, we covered this point before. It's like, regardless, like he did commit a crime, you know, and there's some people that suffer because mm-hmm. of it. It just, uh, what we try and accomplish is like, and people will, will make up their mind what they think if it's, uh, uh, if he committed a crime or not, if he's innocent or not. But regardless of whatever you think, the sentencing, and that's what we yeah. are talking about right now, is exactly. not if he committed a crime or not. Because a lot of people think he he did, a lot of people think he didn't, but mm-hmm. you know the sentencing is like I don't think of, I don't know if anybody ever in history had that sentence like to you. No, what? it doesn't fit the crime, quote yeah. unquote. It doesn't fit the crime. El Chapo got half the sentences that Ross did. Wow. That just tells you right there. I mean, it's it was just re- a ridiculous abuse of government and the power Supreme Court by the judge. Do anything about that? Pardon know. me. Uh, the Supreme Court in the show, maybe. 
So, um, we, you know, I mean, I, I don't know enough about the individual case to yeah. sort of comment specifically, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, no, sentencing, you know, extreme sentencing disparities are, as you said, one of the grounds you can uh, raise on habeas corpus, um, where it's uh, essentially a violation mm-hmm. of the Eighth Amendment to sentence someone to life without parole for particularly nonviolent crimes, right? Because life without parole is life, is, is death in prison. It's a sentence of death it's in death prison. death in prison. Yeah. That's correct. Um, and yep. so absolutely there are grounds under the eighth amendment where you have to at least be more um careful yeah, and certain yeah you know it's great again you know we're not saying guilty or not but you know crazy is like what we're going to talk about after after our conversation with lynn is the 9-11 people are not even in trial yet you know what i'm saying oh, oh like, really like yeah they i mean uh uh michelle mm-hmm. he present a lot of you know uh, in that case, but you know they're not even in trial yet, and none of them got the same sentence. So it's it's just too much. Um, so uh, yeah. Uh, well, best. Well, of all, it's a death yeah. sentence. It's just a walking death sentence. Yeah. You yeah. know, and you know, this is a country where we need. No one needs to be protected from Ross. He's totally peaceful. You would enjoy talking to him. You would enjoy hanging out with him. He's he's you know and. This over sentencing and over incarceration is turning our country into this, I don't know, um, well, the largest incarcerator on the planet. Yeah. Because he, you know, he's not the only one. Do you have any, uh, uh, any celebrities on board, uh, promoting or anything like that? I know you were planning for two, something. Oh, I have Lou Perez. Uh-huh. <laughs> right on. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I got to get better. I got to uh, get much bigger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my question was: um, Do you know any celebrities? <laughs> well, it's more. We're really um, trying to reach out more to political people, tech people. There's a lot yeah. of, of course, people, blockchain, and Bitcoin people who support us, um, who are known in that community. Uh, and uh, the Libertarian Party itself um, called for a pardon for. Well, they called for a pardon, but you know, called for clemency. Uh, to the president officially and voted on it. Yeah. Um, and other, you know, like Governor Gary Johnson, um, other more prominent people in politics don't have anybody in Hollywood or anything like that. It'd be nice mm. just yeah. for the um, exposure. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I think, as I mentioned, like people need to know that it's not about guilty or not at this point. It's about the sentences mm-hmm. is just too crazy. You know, yeah, well, he admits to creating the site. I mean, he and there's a lot of information on our website that goes as deep as you want. And we have a whole thing um, that is based on the public record that you can watch a video or you can listen on a podcast or you can read. Yeah. And it's heavily footnoted. And it's quite astounding what they do. And um, but, yeah, it's he admitted he said, I regret it. Yeah. I mean, he's remorseful. He's like. But he was 26 years old, very idealistic about free markets. He was on the Ron, worked on the Ron Paul campaign. He was, you know, on fire for freedom and, and all of that and Bitcoin. And he's 36 now. He's not the same person. Not that he doesn't have those principles, uh, but that, you know, he's not a lot. A lot of us make mistakes when we're 26, right? Yeah. I'm sure you guys have. <laughs> I certainly did. And, you know, you just sure. hope that. You don't pay for it for the rest of your life, especially if no one, there were no victims named at trial. He never sold drugs himself, or I guess, you know, he was never convicted of that. Yeah. There was something about mushrooms or something in the beginning, but you know, nothing, nothing uh, horrible. And uh, yeah. 
Um, so I, well, well, yeah, it's just well, wrong, like you say. It's just wrong. Yeah, uh, that's that's you know what we agree on. Well, thank you so much. And if you want to repeat how people can help, uh, uh, your website or the to sign the uh, petition. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, if you go to freeross.org, right on the home page, there's a red banner. You click and it takes you right to the petition. Um, that would be wonderful. Um, or if you go to the action page on freeross.org, it'll tell you how to uh, let Trump know directly with a comment. Yeah. And just just want to say, this kind of sentencing puts us all in peril. We all have a right to justice. And this is eroding our rights just to have this precedent set by this terrible sentence. So it's not just about Ross. It's about all of us, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, no, of course. To be thank on you. here and talk. And we yeah. will check with you again. Uh, best of thank luck. Thank you. Yeah. Great. All right. Thank Take you, care, Lynn. Thanks, Lynn. All right. Thank you. Okay. Good night. Good night. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, crazy. As I said, it's like, you know, people can make up their mind, you know, guilty or not guilty, but the sentencing, you know, I think it's... You know, I wonder um, uh, with, you know, with, with Trump being, you know, sort of uh, his personality, yeah. if he knew, say, for example, at this trial and this uh, sentencing took place, you know, uh, under you know Chuck Schumer and yeah. also uh, I think it was Breit 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 Bahara Breit Bahara, um, you know two people who are you know obviously not fans of of Donald Trump. I wonder even if you could just you know sort of uh, you know coax him and his ego to be like, hey, this would be a fuck you to those guys. Sure. Uh, or if they did a segment on Fox and Friends because that's where he gets his news. Or he watches some, every day. Or if someone tweet him as like, I bet you took coward to do this. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the balls. He, you don't, you don't have, the have the balls to do this. Obama, yeah, a real man. Obama would, would, not you. You know, so so I don't know. Um, so before we talk about your book, uh, Michelle, do you want to give us a so we tipped the show on Wednesday, uh, the update on the nine eleven thing that we were talking about earlier? Yeah, yeah. So just to be clear, I, I don't actually work on the nine eleven case, but um, yeah, I, it's it's and in, I it's I don't either. If I, I, anymore yeah <laughs> for the people that listen that's my disclaimer go ahead um, yeah so uh no no so the 9-11 case as many people know um has been or many people may not know um has been chugging along with fits and starts for the past decade 12 years when we say 9-11 case we're talking about sheikh mohammed bin yeah khalid sheikh mohammed and, and four other of his alleged co-conspirators who okay. are alleged to have had varying roles in planning the 9-11 attack okay and uh, they, most of them were taken into CIA custody in 2003, 2004, uh, taken to Guantanamo then in 2006, and then put on trial in 2007, or at least charged, yeah. I should say, in 2007. And pretrial hearings have been going on since 2007. So that's the George W. Bush administration, the entire Obama administration, and now pretty much the entire first term of the Trump administration. And it looked... Um, fairly recently that we might actually get a trial in that case in um, next year, early, ne basically about this time next year, they would begin to start. Like there'll be joy and stuff? Yeah, they, would, they were going to start. Isn't the joy supposed to not know anything about the... Uh, yeah, well, ideally, but you can, well, it's been so long that you'll find people who have yeah, no who idea. weren't born. Yeah. I mean, who literally weren't born and are eligible to serve on that jury. Um, Why do we need a trial for these guys? So I would say here, here's my main reason why we need a trial for those guys is that it's America 
and that's not like an idealistic statement about truth, justice, and the American way, although I support that too. Mm-hmm. It's that ever since Alexis de Tocqueville came to the United States in the first half of the 19th century, he looked around and he's like, this is a nation of people who love lawyers and lawsuits. Uh, sure, and if you true. think about all the great moments in American history, in one way or another, they end up in court. Yeah, and that's yeah. just part hmm. of the American DNA. We like trials, whether or not it's the Scopes Monkey trial. But Guantanamo Bay is not American. Well, I get, well, that's good. Well, we're trying to find out. Is yeah. it America? Is this American? And I think one of the main reasons why we've had so... Why, one of the main reasons why the war on terror has become not just something we've tried to do, but the way of life, right? That it's something now we just accept for the past generation. It's yeah. been 20 years almost. Um, is that we never actually had that catharsis from a trial. We never had that OJ verdict moment or that uh, Scopes monkey trial verdict moment. Or yeah. And also, of- as Lynn put it, it's precedential in that, you know, if we just were to not have a trial and just have the guys killed, that sets a precedent, does it not? I mean, For all of us. We have done it before. Does that make it right? Recently. You're looking at me like I should know what, what you're talking about. What are you confessing to? Oh, yeah, right I'm now. talking about you and me. No. Oh, you and me. Oh, well, that we don't need to talk about. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just like, and and what is what is the trial? The guy confessed, you know. Sure, and so like have the trial. That's what I mean. Is that we get it? Like, like what is his lawyer going to be? Like, I would like to see that trial. That's going to be actually interesting. There's something really, again, I. I the only word I can think of is cathartic about having the trial and just getting a verdict on what the truth is. And I yeah. think the fact that we haven't had that has not only created this kind of national security world that we've lived in where we have to take off our underwear at the airports and do everything else to sort of humiliate ourselves. Um, it's also left the door open to like 9-11 truther conspiracy theories, which are totally bananas. Yeah. But because we don't have a an opportunity for a public verdict, for an airing of the evidence, to find out just what happened. What yeah. happened? Why did these 3,000 people die in one day? Yeah. Um, we've, we've been left with this gap, and that gap makes people suspicious, it makes people paranoid, it makes the whole country just not have the closure that yeah. only a trial seems to be able to achieve in the United States. Is, uh, I, I guess, would you run the, would, would the United States be running the risk of sort of, sort of codifying um the people detained at at guantanamo bay if a trial ensues because then it's like okay well this trial happened therefore these other people need to uh go through trial so then it sort of um messes with the whole uh enemy combatants and and all that stuff yeah i i think you make a good point right where i'm not saying i'm 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 against no 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 no, but you make a good point right you're trying certain people then you're like well what about all these other schmoes who you're holding and you're saying you're not going to have a trial for them at all um on the one hand sure i mean i think that is a problem on the other hand it's not that many guys right there are only 26 so-called low-value detainees in guantanamo 40 total including the 9-11 guys and other people who are in various phases of criminal Not a lot of people know that, just how you know, relatively small that number yeah. is. You know, but I, I thought the idea thought it was of like thousands Guant- or something. Right, it's enough people to put on a bus. I mean, they and did release a lot of people. They did, right. So yeah. the, the population, the throughput of Guantanamo is estimated to be a, have been about 780 people. Yeah. Maybe up to 800, but 780. And I thought the idea of Guantanamo Bay is not to have a trial. That's why they had Guantanamo Bay. Uh, well, that's actually not true. From the very beginning, one of the main things the Bush administration claimed it was going to do was have these quick, dirty, but nevertheless quick and clear military commission trials. And that's ultimately what they're trying to do in yeah. the 9-11 case. 
and have been trying to do since 2007. And what we found out is they're neither quick, uh, they're very dirty, and it's just this slog where people now don't even remember that that's going on. Yeah. And and I think that's a real tragedy. How much of that slog is due to the fact that, um, as Karen Greenberg wrote in her book about Guantanamo, that uh, Guantanamo is the legal equivalent of outer space? Like, there is no... There's not... It's never happened before. So if this was to be taking place on U.S. soil, would we have seen a resolution by now? Oh, of course. Think, and I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, Jokar Sarnayev, the Boston bomber, um, has already exhausted his appeals. I think they're waiting a decision in his in his final appeal but that's going to come down in some reasonably short amount of time um uh another guantanamo detainee by the name of uh, ahmed galani um who was implicated in the bombing of the 1998 uh the 1998 bombing of the embassies in kenya and tanzania was taken from guantanamo in the first months of the obama administration taken up to the southern district of new york and prosecuted he had been it's notable to say, in a military commission, right alongside Khali Sheikh Mohammed and the other people in the 9-11 case. Uh, but they had this case pending against him. They thought they could get it through without having to rely on torture evidence, and so they did. Uh, he's prosecuted. All of his appeals are exhausted. I think his habeas case is exhausted. He's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Yeah. Um, and that case is completely resolved. Do you, and does anyone, before I mentioned his name, even know who... Ahmed Galani is no, but he was trying. Well, I'm sure hot We went to but... school together, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, other than that, I don't really. But he was tried and convicted a mile from here, yeah. And and no one knew, you know, no one is worse for the wear. Yeah, if anything, yeah. we're we have the closure of that. We don't think about that as a, a major controversy anymore. Sure. Whereas with September 11th, again, I you know we're living in New York. As you walk down McDougal Street, what do you see? You see the Freedom Tower, yeah. And it's this reminder of this unfinished business that we've had for the past generation, and it's it's tragedy. It's a it's a real human tragedy, um, but I think it's also a political tragedy and a moral tragedy. Um, and the 9-11 case, which has just been like slogging along and embarrassing the government and the country and everybody involved for years and years and years, uh, just today, just today, fell off the rails again. So as I was saying, they were planning a year, about a year from now, right? So already a year from now, they were planning on beginning to seat the jury select who would be sitting on this jury for a trial that would probably take about a year to try. Um, and just today, because the trial has been going on so long, one of the one of the lawyers for one of the defendants uh, is just too old to continue. And so he had to leave the case because he's, you know, he's... He's leaving the case to run for president. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was going to say, that's hilarious. He's, he's old enough to run. He's, he's old enough to run for president yeah. now. Exactly. But he's like 75 years old. He has health issues, as everyone gets as they get yeah. a little older. He has been on this case for the past 12 years, and he's just, he just can't do it anymore. And, and, the, and he had tried, I should say, in his defense, he had tried years ago to say, look, I need to get another lawyer in on this case and do a handoff so that this situation doesn't occur. And the prosecutors in the case, because I don't know why, they just refused, right? Yeah. They said, no, you're only entitled to one lawyer. And so they're now making this, they made that bed, and now they're sleeping in it. And so the 9-11 case, I don't think will get back on the rails for another year, because you have to hire, you have to hire a new lawyer, he has to get up to speed, and then you're just going to start this case at some point, maybe a year from now. And I mean, who the hell would take that job? And like, who would have to take that job? It's a life sentence all by yes, itself. Yes, right. Johnny Cochran, if he was alive. Yeah. Dershowitz. Dershowitz. Dershowitz yeah, would take try, that. He, he seems to take anybody. I'm sure. Um, all right, so uh, last part of the uh, of the show tonight. Uh, it's been amazing having you. Uh, we want to talk about your new book. It's coming out. 
in July, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. There. Are, so there are two books. One book. I'll, the first book I'll pitch is a book called "Reimagining the National Security State," um, which was edited by Karen Greenberg. is out uh, from Ooh-hoo. is out like right Karen. now uh, from Cambridge University Press, and it's a collection of essays, kind of along the lines I was just talking about. Just thinking about what has um, what has the effect of nine eleven and this sort of uh, war on terrorism been on the concept of you know liberal democracy, not only in the United States. Uh, but around the world, it's a really, uh, I'm like the worst and least qualified person to, to write for this, write a chapter for this book. It's a, it's a really amazing collection of, I doubt that. of philosophers, of, uh, of lawyers, of, of real marquee thinkers. So I, I encourage you to get that one. But my other book, which is coming out, which is a little lighter fare, um, is a book called Last Mission to Tokyo. It's out now for pre-order. Uh, That's already a movie. Like when I saw the title, oh, really? I, was Good. Like, I was like, that's a great title. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you it's, very one, much. it's one of the, the uh, Fast and Furious. Uh, <laughs> Fast and Furious 20, 20. last mission to Tokyo. Yeah. Um, no, so it's, it, it's out this summer. It's available for pre-order now, so get your summer reading in um, on Audible as well as uh, Amazon. Simon & Schuster is the publisher, so you can go to their website and, and pre-order it there. Do you read it? Um, no, I don't read it. Would you? That's insane, man. You have a great. Yeah, voice. you have the voice for it. You have a total voice for it. Okay, well, I'll, I'll see what I, I'll, I'll negotiate. I'll see if I can negotiate yeah. the next. So, what, what's the book about? So, the book is about um, the the close of World War II and this question of can we win the peace and what are what did we just win and it's uh, it's essentially a legal thriller. It's a nonfiction book, uh-huh. uh, but John Grisham said he read it on a beach, and I was perfectly flattered by that. That's amazing. Wow. It's a um, but it's a legal thriller about. You know what is truth, justice in the American way? So it's the prosecution. America after the war, after World War II, America rounded up Japanese lawyers and judges and put them on trial for putting Americans before unfair trials. And they had this great debate about what it what is a fair trial. And the debate hmm. that they had uh, ultimately turns into the Geneva Conventions of 1949. It's, it's kind of like the Batman movie when they had all the, uh, uh, you know, the felons. Doing the, uh, they were in the court and judging if oh, you walk in yeah. the ice or remember that part? Yeah. When Bane okay. is running his yes. kangaroo right. court. Yes. Yeah. And so imagine that the city of Gotham, Bruce Wayne, then held a trial for Bane and what, and as opposed to, I think, throwing him off a building, yeah. which is how those movies tend to end. Um, Shit. And, but then got to debate what is a fair trial? And so yeah. it's this remarkable story of earnest American lawyers uh, arguing with each other in a courtroom in Shanghai, China in 1946. Um, over what is justice, what yeah. is fairness, what is a fair And you said trial. it's not fiction. It's completely nonfiction. It's the okay. craziest story you've ever heard. It's, it involves, um, for, for World War II buffs, something called the Doolittle Raid, which yeah. is the first American air raid on Japan. And the Japanese captured the airmen, some of the airmen, uh, uh, tortured them by waterboarding them, subjecting them to sleep deprivation, um, and then got them to confess to atrocities. And then put them on trial using evidence tainted by torture. Wow. And then we put the lawyers and judges on trial for using evidence tainted by torture in a trial. And so uh, it's an incredible story. I'm trying, I'm, I'm avoiding a couple spoilers yeah, yeah, yeah. that happen along the way. Uh, wow, there's, even, like, there's even a love story in the middle of it. So I, you just can't make this shit up. Wow. Well, it's wild too, just the idea of trying to persuade someone who doesn't believe in a fair trial that. For one, can, they, for one, they should believe in a fair trial, and also they're entitled to a fair trial. I can That's so right. see That's that wild. as a movie. I swear, like, oh, yeah. especially if both sides like a good actors, so you don't know who's right or who's wrong, you know, kind of thing, you know. So, well, Michelle is going to play the lead. I, I, have, that, that I, have, I have, I have, yeah. I have a feeling the Japanese are wrong. 
<laughs> that they sure, don't I'm come gonna, out that as good. Be, you're just <laughs> taking a wild guess. Might be there, the American in me coming out. That's uh, that's a great. Well, guys, thank you so much. This has been uh, amazing. Always amazing when I have Michelle here. Uh, Steve, you want to share your information? Steven with a P H Calabria C A L A B R I A on Instagram. And I'm uh, Lou Perez with We the Internet TV, and you can follow me on Twitter at the Lou Perez. I changed it. Oh, you changed it yeah, finally. Not on the subway. It. Yeah. Ah, good. Lou on the subway is no more. The Lou Perez. Lou on the subway is a criminal that people are looking for right now. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Michelle? Uh, I am uh, on Twitter uh, at M-D-Paradi, P-A-R-A-D-I-S. And uh, if you're interested in the book, again, you can get it on simonschuster.com or there's a Twitter feed now for it called Last to Tokyo, at Last to Tokyo. Um, And you can follow the book there. Excellent. Thank you so much. And live from AmericaPodcast.com. Next week, Norm will be back. And thank you guys very much. You were listening to Live from America Podcast. To contact us, please go to www.livefromamericapodcast.com. Brought to you by the Comedy Seller and Rethink Production. 